It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome everyone to Rock and Nation Podcast. This is a brand new episode of Dive Cuts. We are in Season 5. This is Episode 8. I am your host, Sam Snelling. With me, as always, is my good friend and uh, and fellow analytics nerd, Matthew J. Harris, all the way from Indianapolis, Indiana. Matt, how are you? I'm fine, man. And uh, as I told you before we came on uh, to do this, I was ramping up to try and do a piece, and uh, I feel like I'm at, like, a power plant and all like the all the like the indicator alarms are flashing and like nothing bad has happened yet but it's clearly not an optimal situation so that's just where we're gonna start there whereas i am some poor engineer sitting here looking at a lot of blinking indicator lights and you, um uh did you watch the hbo series chernobyl oh yeah yeah so we're like you know episode one where yeah, the everyone's like the reactor. core's fine. The core's just fine. <laughs> like, there's there's something wrong. Uh, the, you know the the boss man keeps saying ah nothing's wrong. Don't worry about it. And we're all kind of like looking around, like uh, I mean, like this this looks bad. Um, so to to recap, uh, we recorded um, what was it last Tuesday? Yeah. Um, after having only seen Missouri, uh, well, they, we, the two games. So we saw Central Michigan, where they didn't look great, but they won. Uh, and then we saw them look horrible um, <laughs> against UNKC and lost. And that's where 
Uh, and I'm sticking with my, my finger on the panic button. I have not pressed it, but it is squarely on there. Um, and that's where we coined that. And so from that game, uh, Missouri went out and played. I mean, much better defensively. Uh, they, they went up against Northern Illinois and, and had one of their best defensive performances, um, not only like Council Martin's, tenure, but also, uh, you know, recent history, probably going back a ways. Um, they limited everything that Northern Illinois wanted to do. They, they forced them into difficult shots. They uh, did everything that you would want them to do kind of in that situation. Yeah. Uh, everybody started feeling a little bit better. At least they're, you know, they're fighting hard. They're playing hard. And then Mizzou went to Jacksonville. And, I mean, SMU is not a bad team. But they're not great. They're not great. I mean, they have one good dude. One really that, good dude. Yeah, Kendrick Davis is, like, really good. Um, in fact, I would go as far to say that I would be really interested to see uh, that dude on Missouri with who Missouri has because uh, one thing that we learned now through five games is is Missouri has a bit of a ball handling problem. No point guards to be found. Having a guy who could handle the ball, uh, you know, for you know, 80, 85% of the minutes, uh, also help you in scoring when, when some of the scoring bogs down, uh, I think that would go a long way, Matt, to, to helping this team. But uh, he's, not, he's on SMU. Uh, and really, like, that game is probably a blowout if he's not on that team, because uh, I, what did he end up with? Like twenty nine points. Yeah, yeah. And he, I mean, he he was like banging in threes to like force Missouri to kind of keep hitting their free throws there at the end. Yeah. Um, but they did. Like they 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 played a a a really tough defensive what twelve minutes, and then the wheels kind of came off, and everybody was ready to uh, I guess blow everything up all over again. Uh, and then they came back and they won the game, and that was all fun. And then they had the misfortune of going up against a really good Florida State team. Um, this is, you know, clearly one of the 20 best teams in the country. Uh, they did lose to Florida earlier this year. They also played horrible, uh, shot the ball horrible against Florida, um, which I think, you know, like, I think they had won like seven or eight games in a row in that series. So, like, you know, the Gators were probably due for one. But on top of it already kind of being a bad mis- uh, mismatch for Missouri, like coming off the, uh, you know, the game the night before where you go into overtime, Consul's really only, you can see, like he really only trusts like five or six guys. Yeah. And, and throughout like the second half, like that's who he played, uh, you know, against SMU. And then so going into the Florida State game, it wasn't surprising to see things kind of, you know, get off the rails early. Yeah, uh, there are really only there are three guys you can basically count on being stalwarts in this rotation: Amari Davis, Deron Coleman, Kobe Brown. Um, steadily, Ronnie DeGrace kind of moved into, you know, the the post role, and then Pickett and Gordon split duties on the wing. That that's really what your six are. And Jordan Wilmore, um, depending on the day, starts doesn't start. Yaya Kata get some run occasionally 
Um, maybe they throw some minutes to Brookshire, but yeah, it's basically six deep at this point. And, you know, Florida State's a team that, you know, we talked about the cumulative impact of pressure all, you know, over time. You know, I think people were talking about somebody tweeted like at you or me that like it was just wearing them down mentally. No, no, it was it was wearing their bodies down um, <laughs> quite a bit um, when they can throw 12 dudes at your six. And, you know, it's at some point, you know, the only chance Missouri had in that game was to make it a half court grinder. But the problem when you do that is if you're going to play in the half court, you've got to play that defense, which is, you know, heavy on ball pressure. As soon as you drive it, there's a stunt man coming in, a guy stunning in. So now there's two on the ball and sometimes three. If you get to a certain spot on the floor, like if you get to the short corner or you get to an elbow, you're going to have three guys on the ball and they're all freakishly long and athletic. And so it's just hard to run offense in the half court. Like there were stretches. I think I wrote this down like four or five times. I looked at my notes today. Mizzou couldn't even get into like it's, you know, initial triggering action on offense. It was because the cutter is getting bumped off and physically just, you know, handled at that point. You know, there's a guy, you know, up in and up under the guy making the pass. So it's just for 40 minutes, you know, with six guys effectively, there was just, it was just really hard for Missouri to ever assert any real control over the tempo of that game. And once they started and once the ball handling issues once again became apparent, Florida State just jacked the tempo up and it was off to the races. So it was it was just really hard to see any set of conditions in which Missouri was going to be able to really wrestle that game to any sort of condition that would have benefited them. Yeah, it, I think it was kind of early on where uh, the Seminoles started out making like three or four of their first you know, three-point attempts. Yeah, and when they're hitting jumpers, it's just like, oh my God. And yeah, I mean, it, right, right at that point, I'm like, well, this isn't going to last long. Um, you know, and, and I had sort of tweeted out that, you know, I would take my finger off the panic button if they held it to within uh, 10 points. Mostly, I thought it was not going to be within 15. Um, and, and yeah, it, and so, like, the, the way it happened, I mean, it's always disappointing when you sort of watch it snowball the way it does. Um, and you definitely don't want to watch the team that you are cheering for or whatever. Uh, basically just get run out of the gym like that. Uh, and so there's not a lot of like good takeaways that you can, you can have. Uh, but the one thing that I was pleased to see is, is, and one of the things that I've sort of been uh, critiquing, um, you know, this team on so far is, is sort of the, the, the lack of opportunities for a playmaker like Amari Davis. Um, he came to Jacksonville hunting, man. He came. And, and that's that, that like, that's what, you needed to happen. And honestly, like he, he didn't shoot great. in I think the first game, he no, no more shots of, you know, but, but you know what? Like I was, I was happy to see him being more aggressive and he, he's, he's a guy that Missouri needs to kind of get going because they don't have a lot of options on offense. They have like, two they guys don't. right now. They have two guys on offense and then and, it's just an abyss after that. Yeah, so I, I, and I will, I will, you know, gladly eat crow at this point. I did not think that that you know running offense through Kobe Brown would make him remotely efficient. 
Um, so far, he's been really pretty good. Uh, his turnover rate is a little high, and uh, but you know, like everybody's everybody on the Missouri roster, uh, their turnover rate is is too high. But I was gonna um, I was gonna ask about that because I saw that in study hall today, and and it doesn't surprise me because I think what I've noticed is over the past couple of games where he's kind of getting those creative opportunities has changed. Like early on, they would kind of run him in. They just put him in spots in like the base offense, like with it was like a gut or a DHO situation to like another like handoff at the nail or something with a big. Now that they've kind of like gone with Ronnie DeGray, they'll run like some more horns actions where he can like catch at the elbow. They may run something where there's a ball reversal where he can catch in a slot and kind of play bully ball. Like it seems like they're not just putting him in like pick and roll facilitating positions, like where he's being put on the floor and where he's catching and where the, and because you have DeGray on the floor now instead of, you know, Jordan Wilmore, but you know, DeGray's still a good cutter who can, you know, work from the corner or can hang in the short, you know, cut along the baseline or, you know, hang out in the short corner. He still kind of has that read option there. Like he still has some traditional kind of like pick and roll style reads, but he's not in a ball screen. Does that make sense? I think that's mm-hmm. sort of what's facilitated. A lot of it is he's not being asked to be a pick and roll creator. They're getting him into actions and spots that sort of create something similar, but you know, still give him that bully ball driving option to the kind of the nail to the or to the like SEC logo spot. Well, yeah, I mean, I think whichever way they're getting him the ball, um, I was never really keen on the idea of of really running much action for him at all i just didn't think based upon what we had seen you know the last two years that he was a guy that that was going to be able to handle you know like usage over 20 percent. and i mean right now he's at about 25 percent um his efficiency rating is you know well over a point per possession it's uh per Ken Palm looks like it's at a one seventeen, um, which is second only to Ronnie DeGray, and and DeGray is is at nineteen percent usage. Um, you know, so I think like that's that's the thing for me that you know I'm, I mean, it, it, you're, you're you're pleased by it, but at the same time, you like, shouldn't have. You don't want to see Jerron Coleman and Amari Davis at their respective levels of usage either. Yeah, like, so that, I, I'd like sort of to see trade. more from more from Amari, and what you know, we did uh, we did see that in Jacksonville, um, and I don't, like I don't know what what we're going to see from from Boogie going forward at this point because he's he seems very deferential, uh, yeah, and and more willing to to pass the ball, and I thought we were going to see a guy who was maybe a little bit more willing to. Um, you know, to it to attack and 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 take more shots, and he's he's been far more passive than I expected. I think the difference with Coleman's been that what he's done is definitely become the pick and roll sort of distributor that Missouri needs within its base offense. You know, if you look at his number of touches that he's getting in sort of certain actions and where his like his best efficiency as a passer is, it's been in pick and roll plays. So. I think he sort of offloaded some of those catch and shoots we thought we might see. And he's, I think, trying to drive the offense that way. And, you know, I think that's kind of why his turnovers are up a little bit because I think they need someone who's the only real viable solution for them 
kind of in the role that we saw from like Drew Smith or Xavier Pinson a year ago. So it may just be a function of, of what circumstance demands of him right now. Yeah. So the turnovers are, are clearly an issue. Um, you know, and then you go up against a team that forces a lot of turnovers in Florida state. Um, you know, with a team without any real defined ball handlers. Um, and I just like, I don't know. I, I, I'm really struggling to where think where this team is going to go. From what I've seen at this point, what I would like to see them do is just, so we need to start the game with Boogie. You start the game with Amari. You start the game with Deshwan. Uh, you start with Kobe. Uh, and then I would start with Yaya at the five. Um, Yaya is is really turnover prone. <laughs> um, he is not the uh, the wall of a defender that that Jordan Wilmore. And I will say, like I'm gonna, I'll give credit to to Wilmore. He's been a far better positional defender, positional defender than I expected him to be. Um, especially considering like what we saw last year. I mean, he's just, he is a disaster the second he got on the floor being barely able to move his feet. And, and now I like, he, he gives, uh, gives some of those point guards a little trouble by, by, you know, getting, getting those big stoppers out in front of the ball handler. Um, but I still think like at this point, I like, I don't, I don't know what, like, what is our goal for the season? Uh, and if if I'm in in the coach's seat, my goal for the season is to try to develop this roster to make a strong run next year. I'd be willing to take a few more bumps, uh, you know, letting guys play through a few mistakes. Uh, and so, yeah, like I would I would have that, you know, right there, starting Yaya uh, Keita with a uh, you know at at the center spot. Uh, I think you know Ronnie DeGray is your first guy off the bench. Yep. He, you sub him in for Yaya pretty early. Uh, you go small. I, I do like bringing the gray off the bench a little bit because you get a more traditional lineup and you get the small ball lineup. Uh, you know, you bring in, uh, you know, Pickett for whichever guard needs a break and you bring in uh, Anton for ball handling. Um, they still need to find minutes for Dura Gordon. Uh, anybody who's wondering, like, why Dura Gordon isn't playing, like, if you... If you looked at like the minutes that he was out there in like the first three games, like he's he's a he's a bit of a disaster right now. Um, and like I You're giving like up some driving lanes. <laughs> like, yeah, like I mean he's he, he's not he's not great defensively. Uh, he's still kind of learning how to defend. Um, you know, and offensively, like everyone you're gonna look at like the end of the florida state game like oh look at him kind of play and it's like well yeah he's going against kids that don't have a scholarship like he better look good um and so like you know i think but i do think there is all of the elements of of what a good player can be and so i think that you want to keep that guy engaged uh you want to make sure that he's he's still seeing time and developing um and then I think, you know, for, for somebody like Anton, I think that kid just needs to see the ball go through the net. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, like, what, he's... 0 of 9 on catch and shoots. Yeah, I was going to say, he's 0 of, 9, 0 of 10 from 3. Um, he hasn't made a, a 3. He's uh, 2 for 2 um, from 2-point range, which is, which is better. But, 
Uh, I mean, it's, it's been a struggle for him, and he's turned the ball over at 30% of the time. Um, and, you know, like, we shouldn't be all that surprised because he's, he's not like a, you know, a top 50 prospect. He's not, you know, a, a McDonald's All-American. He's a good... Uh, Three or four-year guy. Yeah, like a guy who's going to be a program guy. And I think if you're, like, you definitely want to make sure that he's staying engaged. You definitely want to make sure that he's allowed to develop through some of those mistakes. But I think, like, if, if that's a rotation, then we kind of see what happens with Trevin Bazile and um, in his health. Um, you know, I, I think you have enough there to uh, to hopefully gel a little, little bit, get a little better. And by the end of the year, you have a, a team that, is really kind of fighting it out and, and looking like something that you can build upon for next year. Yeah. I, I think the question right now is just finding to me is not even like looking that far out. It's just finding, you know, something on a night in and night out basis. That's giving you an opportunity. Cause I mentioned the, the warning lights here, like the, it, it's no matter where you look statistically, it's not great right now. I mean, that, that's not saying anything really novel there, but the one number that uh, one of the categories I kind of like to look at is, you know, what a team's doing, you know, with, as far as efficiency on finishing at the rim and making jump shots. That's what a lot of offenses are geared towards now, pretty much winnowing out mid-range looks, but it's threes or layups. And so you can look at that by going into synergy and kind of looking at how guys are doing on at rim shots that aren't on post-ups and on catch and shoot jumpers. Like most of those tend to be three pointers and you can, and the efficiency for both of those shots is like 1.1 points per shot. That's in division one. That's in sec play. That's kind of your gold standard, like 1.1 points per shot or 110 points per 100 possessions. Missouri right now as a group is at 0.951 points per shot. That's 12% below what, what you know the division one averages right now but then you take out kobe brown and ronnie de gray and the other nine or ten guys on the roster are at 0.76 so what that tells me is there is not a lot of room for slippage at this point offensively for this group and to your point you know about amari getting going that that's pretty important right now. They need another score, particularly a perimeter score, to come online. And it could be Coleman banging in jumpers. It could be Deja Juan Gordon, you know, becoming a slasher, or Amari Davis finding a way to get his you know mid range to floater game going. But they need something in the backcourt to start coming along because the level at which DeGray and Brown are playing right now is fantastic. But like you look at it, what it's going to be over the course of the season, there's probably going to be some lulls there, and I there's just not a lot of slack in the rope offensively right now. So coming out of Jacksonville, was Davis particularly efficient over two games? No, but I think you need a perimeter guy who's going to assert himself, you know, trying to get downhill and go play. Because right now, you know, you and I have talked over the last couple of years, it's been very hard for Missouri to find a ball player who you can give the ball to and say you go go make offense for us davis didn't look great against smu he looked okay in stretches against florida state 
But if he can be that guy who Missouri knows, okay, maybe the offense isn't getting us quite everything we want right now, but Amari's locked in. He's engaged. We can call some action and get him rolling a little bit and get us, you know, through some lulls. Because right now they don't have that. So I think that's sort of where, where my head's at. It's not like what's the rotation construction. It's just where's some guys to put a little more slack in the rope offensively for this group right now. Because it, it, we haven't seen one outside of, of Brown and DeGray so far. Yeah, and I, I kind of feel like, you know, Pickett is tried to be that guy. And that has never in Javon's uh, history of, of you have to be able to do more than drive Missouri. right. You got to be able to do more than catch rip and go right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, that was like my my flow chart. Um, is Javon going right? Yeah. Uh, end of flow chart. But you know, like we've seen, we've and I think like you can you can win with Javon Pickett on the roster. Like I don't want to make it seem like if if he's playing minutes, you know, you're a disaster. It's just the appropriate dosage of Javon Pickett. He he took 12 shots against Florida State. Um and he took 14 against Central Michigan, uh 9 against UMKC, like there weren't many games last year where he was taking that many shots. Um I you know, I just went back and looked in and his three point attempts, uh, he had one game he shot three, one game he shot four. The game he shot four was the first game of the season or second game of the season against Oregon. Uh, and the third or uh, his three attempts were against uh, Arkansas on the road. Uh, he was one of four and over and over three in those games. Um, you know, and so I'm I'm thinking like. If Javon Pickett is taking this many shots, then the offense is generating the wrong shots. Correct. And if you have guys who are more efficient at taking, you know, shots, and really, like, if if you ha- are moving the ball, you get a drive, you get a kick out, and Javon Javon has his feet set and he has that corner three, it's a good shot. Um, he's been consistent over the last couple of years at least being able to make them at a a good clip. He's not a great three-point shooter, but he's a guy in those situations where you're you're going to kick it to him in the corner. It's it's a good chance he's going to make the shot. I mean, placement level floor spacing. Yeah, like like that's that's an acceptable usage for Javon Pickett. Uh if if things are are moving and and again you get a kick out and the guy, you know, presses out and and you know, oversells his help and, and he wants to drive it. Hey, great. If he's out in transition and he's able to, you know, kind of do that, then great. Like, I think these are all things that Javon Pickett is reasonably good at. But you can't be expecting him to use ball screens. You can't be expecting him uh, to really to be an offense generator. And I feel like there's been far too many possessions. And, and it happens, I think, a lot when when there's been sort of a period of, of when, struggle for Missouri, like offensively. Well, and, you can see the lineups where it happens. It's when it's him, Davis, Gordon, Brown, and DeGray on the floor. It's minus 10 as a lineup in 15 minutes. 
like they basically have to default to Pickett and Kobe is Javon and Kobe is kind of the guys they put in those base offense actions. And like we talked about, Kobe's not necessarily a guy who creates best out of them. Pickett's not a, you know, an on ball creator type. Davis uses ball screens to get to the middle of the floor and score. And Dejuan Gordon's an off ball player. So there's, there's no one on the floor there. That's an offense on ball initiator. When that happens, that, that you can, you can see the lineup, it, no matter where you go, kind of up and down looking at the lineup data, it's that group. And it's cause I just don't think they have an on ball creator there to do what the offense needs to do. Yeah. So, you know, Pickett kind of knowing what is supposed to happen takes upon himself to make it happen. And it doesn't often end well. Um, you know, so, and again, like I, I like, I like Pickett in, in the role that he had last year. I think he was really good in that role last year. Uh, you know, but he was coming off the bench. He was, you know, playing spot minutes, uh, you know, instead of being uh, a guy who's playing two thirds or three quarters of the game, he was playing less than half. Uh, and I think that's a better fit for his skill set and what he does. I think, you know, Pickett overall is is kind of like emblematic of what's sort of wrong with this roster is uh is like the over reliance on guys who are miscast. And I mean, does it mean that like Missouri is doomed and, and all hope is lost? I don't necessarily think you need to go there, but um but you definitely are concerned about the construction of the roster and, and these are the guys that you know, that Martin and his staff went after and, and these are the guys that they chose and, and and put in position knowing realistically knowing that knowing you know, the limitations. That, well and and also like knowing even though like we all kind of like this uh this freshman class, knowing that those guys were gonna take some time uh to develop. Like there was no like this is it was never a fab five kind of <laughs> kind of group, right? Like no like these were all long term bets. And and I think like the the guy with the highest ceiling of anybody on the roster is has not played, um, and so he, like clearly we don't know what to expect from Brazil at this point. I still think he's a guy that you know long term has pro potential. Um, I don't know that I could say the same about anybody else in the roster, but but certainly, uh, you know, he's a guy that that sort of has that that mold. Uh, and and he's not he's not able to play. So, you know, Anton and Yaya and and Dura Gordon and Caleb were all guys that were going to take some time to develop. Uh, and you were sort of hoping that they would be able to play and, and help and supplement uh, a more mature group. And I kind of feel like when you look at it, like going into the season, like was this a a situation where where like Conzo was looking at at Kobe Brown and Javon Pickett said, "All right, I've I've got that core. Let me build around that instead of here are good supplemental pieces. I need to go find the core." Right, and I think that that sort of gets back to what you and I have talked about. You know, Twitter, you and I, you know, just in many different forums. What you know was the approach in the transfer portal ultimately correct here? Um. There is no 
proven point guard on this roster. That was a clear need. They had three of them last year. Um, different styles, different usages, different kind of ways in which they fit, but they had three. And, you know, their ability to play in ball screens was average is slightly above average for the Division One level. Um, Missouri had an elite rim finisher, which helped in Jeremiah Tillman, but they had three point guards who could, you know, get the ball where it needed to go. They had better, or at least they figured out where their best jump shooting was, and they sort of built around that. But they needed, you know, to replace that. If the offense wasn't going to change, which Martin, you know, made clear, you know, right before the start of the season, he kept the same offense, then you needed to go get one or two legitimate dyed-in-the-wool point guards. Guys who, who you know, if I look in synergy, it's like, holy crap, they run 15, 20 ball screens a game for that guy, and that's what he does. He's, he, his job is to make offense for other people. That They didn't go get that. Um, if they had, then I think you could have looked at the Coleman edition and said, okay, that makes sense, because now we've got a secondary off-ball creator who can catch and shoot and who, you know, can you know, make something happen, you know, with some pace on that second side of the floor. And, you know, even if they had taken Amari Davis, you would have said, okay, we got a little bit of pop, a little bit of guy who's going to get downhill, play in some gaps. But, you know, we can put that alongside our point guard. Now we've got two guys playing downhill, getting in gaps, forcing rotations, forcing, you know, the defense to move a little bit. Like, that would have made sense. But so really the question that I come back to, and this is not a knock on Dejuan Gordon as a person or anything like that. It's just was the need to go get a Dejuan Gordon or go get a proven point guard. Like that that's what I keep coming back to. Is, you know, was there a need to go add a more athletic Javon Pickett or go get a dyed in the wool point guard? I think that's gonna be kind of the ongoing debate throughout the year. Um because Gordon Look, we know that analytics aren't perfect for gauging defense, but you watch Gordon and you look at his numbers. The kid defends his ass off. He's a, he's a tough defender. He does a good job most of the time. But you already kind of have some defense here. You need ball handling. So it's I, I just I, I guess that's the question is what made not going and getting a true yes, that's an obvious point guard kind of kind of the rational why that was forestalled for other stuff at this point i think that's going to be that's if i could give the staff truth serum that's what i would do is, is ask them that yeah like wh- where is your ball handling <laughs> i i look at it and, and there there are limits to uh to what you can develop you know players into and I think like there was some reasonable expectation. Okay, like you know, Gordon is a guy who, you know, had played well as a freshman, had a tough sophomore year. If he could get back to where he sort of was, um, you know, the, as a freshman, then you're, you're feeling a little bit better about that addition. But he looks a lot more like the guy he was last year. Yeah, uh, <laughs> he's not shooting well. Uh, his he still rebounds the ball, like you know, he still defends his butt off. He does attack the rim. He does get to the basket. Um, the problem is they don't finish. He doesn't finish at the basket all that well. Like he's averaging, 
he's shooting 30% at the rim. Like, so he's getting there and he's only shooting 30%. You look at him in transition. Like he's not been great. I think I'm trying to find his most common thing here. Like he's been okay running the left wing a couple of times in transition, but like in the half court, when like he's gotten to the rim, it's been no bueno. So like, that's the thing he's has to do in this offense is like, I would rather have that guy catching grip and going and getting into the, you know, getting into the deep, getting into the paint, drawing fouls or converting at the rim. And that's not happening. So it's like, you've got a, a pretty stingy defender, a guy who's knocked down some unguarded jumpers, but isn't finishing at the rim and, you know, really giving you kind of think what you need. You know, if you were going to say, you know, why did we bring this guy in? He's come up a little bit short in that respect. Yeah, just sort of revisiting, uh, like, you know, some of the, the turnover numbers. You know, thinking about, like, what you're <laughs> you're kind of saying about, like, the point guard spot. And, and, and they don't, like, have a point guard sign uh, either. So it's... I don't know, like I like I'm I don't understand how you could have could have seen everything that was out there and thought uh you know, thought you didn't need somebody who can distribute the, the, the ball a little better than you know than you know Kobe Brown. Yeah. And you know, I I think you know, this spring I think you were you were definitely more insistent on a Point guard. I, I didn't disagree with you. I was probably more vocal for a big. How many times did I send you names from the portal of bigs? I became a, I'm still a big Kirk Way fan. That guy would have been a nice pickup there. Like it didn't need to be an offensive center. The guy just needed to have a sky high defensive rebound rate and and a solid to average rim per, you know block rate and be long. And I would have been fine. You know, just Get Basically, a, like somebody like what we kind of think Yaya is going to turn into. Oh, uh, Kirk Weth is but, like seven one, so I would have that's I would have wanted is like he that tall. I think Kerr is that big. Yeah, I thought he was more like six six nine or ten. He might he's be long though. Like he's a great shot blocker, right? But that, so that's what I was kind of thinking in the mold there. Like they wouldn't have gotten him probably, but like a Musa Cisse, like that kind of like long, rangy, kind of like fluid big maybe he's really raw offensively but you but if you had signed a real point guard and you throw a lob in the vicinity of the rim he would get it like that's the thing i'm like watching like the florida state bigs right is is if the ball is near the rim they go they get can, it they can catch it and look i i get that you know zoe like has this idea of what jordan wilmore is but jordan wilmore has like stone blocks for hands uh, and again, credit to him for turning into a, a decent defender, but you don't throw like, him lobs. Like you, you don't throw him lobs. You don't need to be running any offense for him. Uh, you don't need to be throwing him the ball on the block. Like that's just that's not a successful play for most players, uh, but especially for a guy who like. He, if you're you're dumping it off to him and he can just lay it up and great. If you're passing it to him and he can he can dunk it, like great. But it's got to be a soft 
pass and he's got to be open. Otherwise, it's bobbled and it's a turnover. And that, you know, it's, it's striking. And I, I realize that, you know, I, I've, uh, I've, I've always sort of thought like the, the idea behind what Conzo was trying to accomplish with, you know, his sort of repositioned roster here was moving more towards uh, a roster and, and what Florida State does, you know, and so you, you got to see like, one, you got to see the product that's like fully formed and why it works. And I think like that's what and so would like to do. But how many, like how many guys on Missouri's roster like would have a scholarship to Florida State? Hmm. I mean, Aiden Shaw would. But sure. Yeah. <laughs> I'm talking about the existing roster, oh. not next year's roster. This is, I'm going to, I'm just going to, veer away from that because I think you can watch Florida State and you can see the two things that we've talked about kind of manifested. Look at what Caleb Mills did with the ball last night. Mizzou might down a ball screen. He'll just back it out on a big old re-screen. He might get stunned. A guy might hedge, but then he'll snake it. He'll hesitation dribble, and then he'll just explode, and he'll drive a gap. Like, Florida State can run offense for him, but like you watch Florida State and you don't go, man, that's a well-oiled machine. It's really just kind of like, hey, come down, set some ball screens on the perimeter. Let's just get our guys in space and get downhill. Because if we get that angle, if we get that step, half step on you, we're going to get to the rack. And Mills kind of epitomized that. Like, wasn't always running like fully formed offense, but he was a guy who just knew how to play, was instinctive, understood how to play off guys and could get into the paint and just cause problems for you. So that was, that's one end of the spectrum there that Missouri doesn't have. And then you just look at whether it's Butler, Nogum, whatever big they ran out there. You know, Butler's a seven-foot beanpole, but guarding on the perimeter. And, you know, Ngoum is, you know, just, he's tall, but look at just his build. It's long, it's rangy, he's mobile, he's fluid, he's comfortable in space. Like, that's what Florida State has. They have an athlete who can kind of, they've got a point guard who can just sort of have good instinctive feel, but is assertive as all get out when he gets an angle of attack. And then they've got bigs that can just move and feel fluid. Are they the most skilled and polished post-up guys? No, but they understand what their role is. They know what to do and they can execute it. And when they get an opportunity to do the two or three things that the offense demands of them, they're just ruthless in their efficiency at doing it. And that that's those are the two things, you know, that I noticed that Missouri doesn't have. You know, Florida State's guards, you know, Leonard's been able to ramp up the recruiting there, but he's always kind of had point guards like Mills or like the bigs he has now. And Missouri does not have those two assets on this roster. And so to bring it full circle to talk about the rebuild, if this was a year where you thought you could go out and that was a direction you wanted to go, there were plenty of bigs in the portal that could, you know, have fit that mold, maybe for only one or two years, but there were also plenty of point guards out there that I think you could have like sold out to go get. So it's just, I'm just sort of curious as to how they evaluated the guys they did for the roles that they did, because you just see what the blueprint looks like, even if it's fully formed and go, I don't necessarily see guys, even of that kind of type on the roster right now. So it th that's sort of curious, I think, at this juncture. 
Yeah, and and so I mean, like Florida State is at this point like they're kind of a uh, they're a top twenty program. They spin well, like it. Yeah. They recruit like it. They're they're firmly entrenched. They've they've made it, that it, jump into the top twenty. It's kind of like we said. Like they're they're fully formed at this point, right? So, you know, they're a um, they're the idea um, that you know happens when a, when a coach has the longevity uh, that Hamilton does when he recruits the way Hamilton and Hamilton's always recruited well. Um, you know, I have have heard certain rumors that he doesn't always recruit on the up and up which you know if you like remember who was uh balza uh copravitsa yeah uh was the kid who was on their their team uh was it last year that he was just on yeah there? like it's, yeah. it's recently like he, he's he was on there but he was one of the kids that um uh christian what's the, the kid from the fbi thing was was trying to sell to will wade and and will wade was like yeah you know like well we'll we'll we're looking at him and and i think like copravitsa was even like pretty close to committing to lsu at some point so if florida state's getting that guy like, <laughs> like there's probably some money exchange hands so you know again and we know like like Conzo martin isn't a guy who wants to play the game that way uh you know i i am i think uh most of you know at this point like i am very pro players getting what they're due um but i don't think that coaches should be cheating um i that's why i like the the name image and likeness laws matt but i mean my essentially my my point here is that uh that leonard hamilton has the the dudes that Conzo hasn't been able to land. And and is Aiden Shaw the start of that? I mean, I I mean, I love Aiden Shaw, and I think Aiden Shaw is is a elite level uh athlete and a, a high level prospect and a guy that if you get five more Aiden Shaws, then you have, you know, the start of what Florida State already has. And and I think that's kind of the the issue that that we're we're dealing with right now is that, um. So I think Dura Gordon is is that level of an athlete. Um, he's clearly not that level of a basketball player yet. Uh, Trevor Brazil, I think, is that level of an athlete. Um. And you know, and really, like, I'm really pretty pleased with the level of athleticism that Amari Davis has. You know, but Boogie isn't a great athlete. Javon Pickett is not a great athlete. Kobe Brown is not a great athlete. Um, Jordan Wilmore, clearly not a great athlete. He's he's big as hell, but he's not a great athlete. And so that's the limitation. These are the guys that are playing the bulk of the minutes. Yeah. And, you know, you to bring it back to really, you know, why the hand is on the panic button here, you know, because – there's nothing that I've seen in the last week. I mean, it hasn't gotten to the level that it was against UMKC, but this is still a team that, you know, and I thought you put it aptly in study hall, like it has to decide what it wants to be. If it's going to have like the lineup that we saw starting against SMU, which is great defensively, but it cannot score to save its life. Or it has to go and, you know, play small like we saw at the end of SMU, but it gets weaker on the defensive glass. It gets a little bit more turnover prone. There's just, you know, there's 
there's not a group right now or a you know a consistent rotation that you see you know to start games you know last year you could watch Missouri and kind of know what Conzo's first five moves were going to be and what sort of the rotation was and how they were going to start and maybe you could like see how the offense changed based on the opponent and the scout but you could kind of see where things were and again I don't know if you necessarily needed to see that right out of the shoot this year but by game five or six you kind of want to be able to see okay yeah Here's here's the first four or five lineups that Zoe usually rotates through. Here's kind of how Missouri wants to start. Here's what they want to do. Here's how they get in rhythm. Here's how they sort of get a feel for what's happening. And you just don't see that. You just don't see that right now. You, you know, as I mentioned earlier, there's two guys that really are just playing absurdly well right now and papering over a lot of issues. And it's really just a question of, can they sustain that long enough for one or two guys to get right for lack of a better term? But if that doesn't happen, the schedule's only going to get harder. And, you know, there's, it's, you just haven't seen anything in the last three games. No kudos for rallying against SMU. That's a tough thing to do, you know, wait or bounce back and, you know, be locked in and engaged defensively against NIU, you know, Florida state's heads and butt, you know, far above where this program is right now. But like the results are almost almost secondary at this point. You watch how it's happening. And I don't feel like there's been a ton of resolution since the UMKC game. And, you know, Wichita State's a big game on Friday. They got Paul Quinn, but then they got to go do you, then they got to go to Liberty. Like it's, there's, there's not like a real place to hide moving forward for this team. So th- there's got to be solutions soon or right. you're, you're going to be smashing the panic button. So they're probably going to be able to hide against Paul Quinn. Oh yeah. <laughs> and probably Eastern Illinois. Oh, yeah. Um, but after that, I mean, Liberty is currently 123rd in Ken Palm, but that's a road game. Uh, Iowa State is 111. Road game. Um. So right now, Missouri is projected to win three more games, like in the Kempom standings. Now, the the way the odds sort of play out, uh, the projected record is twelve and nineteen. Um. I like. I just don't. I don't know how you can sell. Like any level of excitement for the fan base based upon just Aiden Shaw and this returning group coming back. Yeah. If you're 12 and 19. Yeah. Like I, I really do. I, I think that this, and I think the SEC is enough of a disaster, especially at the bottom that you can, you can pick up some games here and there that maybe you didn't uh, anticipate. But that, I mean, really, like, that's that's a tough thing. And, and like, we talked about last episode, like, the contract is locked in until May 1st. And as a guy who, like, really respects the, the type of dude that Konzo is, like, I really want this to work. Because, I mean, what better scenario could you ask for to have, like, a, the type of person that he is running your program at a successful level? With all the, the the type of dudes, you know, like Will Wade and Bill Self, who are 
who are just shitty individuals running programs crookedly and, and succeeding to have somebody who is a stand-up guy actually doing it well. And it's it's tough to see it like a path forward at this point. Uh, and and how you sort of get the the level of talent that's on the roster to enough wins to get any sort of momentum for coming back in in year two, and and so even if so even if like the decisions made that they're going to bring him back, you know because. May 1st is a really tough time to fire a coach and start looking for a coach. And $6 million is a lot to pay somebody not, you know, not to go do their job, especially when you run the, pro, uh, the athletic department the way Missouri does, which they're, they're not flush with cash the way that some of these SEC athletic departments are. Yeah. They're- like, like what you're, you're essentially going into next year with, Consul Martin on the hottest of seats. And that's going to impact what you're doing in the 23 class. Too. Like so it's 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 a really like this is a tough situation and I don't know like I'm I, I don't really know where to go from here because it's just like I mean you and I have a weekly podcast that we're going to have to talk about this team. And again like it's entirely possible that a lot of this is they're just working out some kinks and things start to get better. Guys start to shoot better. Boogie gets his shot going. Uh, Amari finds his groove. All the things that we talked about before the season of what sort of had to happen to make this team competitive. Those things, things can still happen. And then that gives you a better feeling going into next year. But as it's constructed right now and how they're playing right now, like, I mean, it, 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 <laughs> that trip to Lawrence, like, yeah, that's going to be, and you know, like self is, is going to want to destroy Missouri for, because he doesn't even want to play that game. Yeah. Like that's like the run of Kansas, Utah, Illinois into Kentucky. It does make me feel a little better that Illinois like doesn't look great. <laughs> yeah. But at that point, like, just that run over 18 days that that feels like Wichita state you know has looked good in stretches um i have i watched a little bit of liberty lsu and uh, you know they still look like a richie mckay coach team eastern illinois being a gut job there so maybe you come out of this stretch at two and one maybe you beat wichita state and eastern illinois lose at liberty you know you're sitting there at five and three and but then you're staring down, you know, Kansas, Utah, Illinois, Kentucky. You know, you lose those four, you're at five and seven. And then there's, you know, a Mississippi State team that, you know, looks, you know, to be pretty good. Then you got Alabama at home, and then you got to go to Arkansas. Like, there, there's no, like, the after they play Eastern Illinois on December 7th, they don't see a team lower than 75th in Kimpom until Iowa State on January 29th. It's basically six weeks of top 75 games. Like, the, it's an opportunity, Matt. It's an opportunity. 
it's it's an opportunity or it's it's gonna really really you know you might have broken the panic button because you've you've just smashed it so many times over the course of that stretch and look i you know i'm some people say i'm quote irascible by nature um then that i'm also kind of a pessimist by nature but you know i don't root for guys to fail but and so you, you, you want to see this team sort of pick itself up and find a path. And, you know, Konzo's shown in the past, you know, he can adapt to roster situations that don't unfold necessarily as anticipated. But, you know, this was this was not that situation. This was, oh, it, it stinks that Brazil's been, you know, out with an undisclosed medical issue. But there's no major injury that's hampered this team so far. But this, I also, this like, is, neither of us think that like Trevor Brazil was like a fixture in right, the offensive right. plan. Like, like he right, was always right. a guy who was going to grow into a role. What I'm saying is the first five games have shown us an ideal set of conditions for, you know, what you want for a team like this. They had three games against teams that were, you know, if you're in a solid situation, maybe you struggle for a little bit against one of them, but you, you're ultimately decisive. You know, SMU could have been an overtime game, you know, and even if this team was playing well, but how that game unfolded was disconcerting. And then you just watch what the dismantling by Florida State, there's just not been anything where I can like latch on to and say, there's the kernel, there's the idea. I see it now. I see what it's going to be. They've just got to get there, you know, and there, there's not many opportunities left to sort of, you know, redesign this thing on the fly you know i think ken palm says you know when he's looked at teams at least analytically statistically you kind of are what you are after 10 or 11 games yeah and they're halfway there right now and you know the nice thing is you know kansas is that 10th game so the next four games are are kind of that period where if they're gonna go they need to make that move now and maybe playing in short succession against Wichita State, Paul Quinn, and Liberty gets them there. But it's so it's we say this every year, like we're gonna be patient the first three games. Let's just see what this team looks like, and then you get two weeks into the season, then you're like, holy crap, they got four games to like look what they're gonna look like. It, it goes slow, and then it just goes and accelerates really, really fast. So this team's got to figure it out on the fly in the next two weeks. Is is I think what what's gonna be probably the thing that makes or breaks this thing or or plays a significant role in it. rays of sunshine right uh always the uh positive sunshine pumpers at rockham nation who think Conzo martin does no wrong uh and can do no wrong and thinks he's just the greatest thing since sliced bread i do think he's a, a terrific human um and i think that that doesn't go as far as it used to um, but there's a whole the, mess of issues to figure out right now. But the scholarships that he is, he is, uh, he has opted to give out here. I mean, like this is what four four transfers and five freshmen. Yep, that's nine dudes. Uh, he had an extra scholarship. They have an open scholarship. I mean, and we could maybe Trey King is the missing piece, but. Is he a they point had an open guard? Open scholarship, and and they did not pursue a point guard. 
Oh, okay. Um, look, I I really hope it works as though. Um, I don't I don't think I can make that any clearer. Uh, but the um, outlook, uh, as the Magic Eight Ball says, is uh, is not so great. Um, so uh, yeah, so it's Tuesday night. Uh, November 23rd. We have Thanksgiving on Thursday. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Um, Wichita State. So we got a loaded Rock'em Nation Friday with uh, with the, the Battle Line Rivalry. Isn't that what they're calling it? Sponsored by State Farm. Um, is that who sponsors it now? Look at look it up uh, while I'm on um, this. But uh, so uh, the Battle Line Rivalry uh, against Arkansas, it is, it is uh, in Arkansas. I, can't remember if it's at Little Rock or if it's in Fayetteville. I think it's actually in Little Rock. Um, but that game is like at two thirty on CBS, and then uh, and then Missouri plays Wichita State that night, and so we have a football game and a basketball game on the same day, day after uh, Thanksgiving on Black Friday. Um, this the Wichita State game will be a very very tough game. Uh, they're coming off a, a hard fought win over UNLV. Um, the Shockers are are kind of probably similar to SMU in that they're they're not great, but they're they're good. They've got a couple of nice pieces, and and uh, right now that is a projected uh, one point loss. It's basically a toss up, right? Um. So then, yeah, that's essentially like a toss up. Uh. Monday night, the following Monday, uh, Missouri plays Paul Quinn College, which is a uh, HBCU um, and NAIA. Is that yeah. right? Yep. Uh, and that they are not very good. Um, but coincidentally, Matt, and uh, I don't know if our listeners know this, but the head coach for Paul Quinn College is uh, the. Uh, head basketball coach for Drive Nation, which is a a Dallas area AAU squad, and has a couple guys. Um, the Missouri happens are, to be recruiting. That hmm. Missouri ha- happens to be recruiting. Hmm. I, I I'm sure that's purely coincidental, and why that they why they scheduled Paul Quinn College uh, and are sending them a nice a nice game check uh, to come play. Um, so we're we'll record after Paul Quinn. Um, so we'll we'll. Take stock of what happened against Wichita State. Look at Paul Quinn. We'll record. Uh, then they go to Liberty. Um, unfortunately, we're going to have to record after Liberty. <laughs> Why couldn't uh, they Eastern go Illinois play Slew Missouri State? What's that? Why couldn't they go play Slew or Missouri State? Just... I, I mean, really, like, I would rather they go make a trip to Bradley. Like, I'd rather see them, you know, go to Northern Iowa. Like, any... Any mid major Loyola Chicago, Anything. that terrible, terrible institution, uh, that apparently like just disregards all the sexual assault that ha- happens on its campus. Really cool stuff. Um, so anyway, we've gone for an hour. I did not expect this to go this long, uh, considering how bad everything was. It's it's hard to talk about uh, you know bad things when when they're all bad and they're consistent. We tried to be constructive things. though. <laughs> like they're they're consistent in what they do and not scoring the basketball, uh, but playing hard. They do play hard. Um, so we'll uh, we'll be back next week. Uh, there's 
plenty of content on Rock'em Nation. Uh, go check it out. And, and we'll be back next week. And who knows? Maybe maybe we're talking about a couple couple more wins. We're, we're feeling the energy right now. Maybe. Did you did you figure out uh, where the the battle line rev or the sponsor of the battle line rev driver? No. You didn't? No. no. All right. Uh, maybe BK and Tim you know and you can listen to their podcast after this one. Uh, thanks for tuning in, everybody. We'll be back next week. Thank you.